Big Finish presents Doctor Who Short Trips Decline of the Ancient Mariner by Rob Nisbet Read by Mark Reynolds The doctor looked up from his workbench. He could hear footsteps and a raised voice from the corridor. A moment later, the door to his laboratory was shoved open. A Marilyn Monroe, for example. Sarah Jane's voice rang with indignation. A fellow American, she continued. She was far from the dumb blonde she appeared to be in films. A young man ventured into the laboratory behind her. He was tall, dressed in a brown business suit, and carried a slim document case, which he held up as if to stave off Sarah's fury. The doctor raised an amused eyebrow, noting the newcomer's discomfort. Uh, Marilyn Monroe, he asked, was a bookworm and a keen reader of science, continued Sarah. Just because she was a woman, the young man held up a hand. Okay, okay, he said, I surrender. I should not have assumed that the doctor was a man. Sarah seemed a little disappointed that her point had been won so easily. The doctor adjusted the ruffles of his shirt cuff and held out his hand. Uh, from your accent, you must be Mr. Ross, uh, the man from NASA. Uh, pleased to meet you, sir. You are, I assume, the doctor. The doctor smirked. Uh, you'll forgive Sarah her enthusiasm. She expects 1974 to be a time of equality. Uh, you should have seen her in the Middle Ages. Sarah suspected that the doctor was teasing them both. I think, she said, that Mr. Ross has other concerns. Of course. The doctor became serious. A trouble with your space probe, Mariner 10. The, the floor is yours, Mr. Ross. We're listening. Mr. Ross lay his case on the doctor's workbench. Uh, you know of Mariner 10's mission, fly by a Venus and a gravity slingshot in towards Mercury, collecting data, mapping, and, he tapped the case, uh, taking close-up pictures. The doctor sat down and closed his eyes, in what Sarah knew to be an aid to concentration. Mr. Ross didn't seem so certain, but continued anyway. Uh, the Venus slingshot early last month went remarkably well, but uh, since then there have been problems with the probe's navigation system. The doctor didn't open his eyes. It orientates itself using canopus, I believe. Sarah glanced between the two men. Okay, what on earth is canopus? Not on earth, Sarah Jane, said the doctor. It's a star. A particularly bright star, explained Mr. Ross. Mariner uses the position of its light to navigate. If any correction is necessary, it triggers a firing and maneuvering fuel. Small adjustments are autonomous. Any significant deflection is subject to various authorizing protocols issued by NASA control. There was one particular incident that I'd like your opinion of, Doctor. The doctor blinked his eyes open to find Mr. Ross spreading out a series of photographs. These were taken by Mariner 10 last Friday, the 29th of March. We've never seen Mercury in such detail. So many craters, said Sarah. That's what struck us too, Miss Smith. The American flashed her a smile. Or may I call you Sarah? Miss Smith would do fine, thank you, Mr. Ross. What are these dark patches? One of the things we wanted your opinion of, actually, said Mr. Ross. The experts at NASA, with some flair for the obvious, have named them mysterious shadows. And? The doctor sensed that there was more to come. Immediately after these pictures were taken, Mariner 10 veered off course again as if another light out there in space outshone Canopus. And? Mr. Ross looked a little sheepish. And then, I'm sorry to say, we lost contact with the probe for a full half hour. Completely? asked the doctor. Oh, yes. My mariner doesn't do anything by halves. And when we re-established contact, a significant amount of maneuvering fuel had been expended, without explanation and without NASA's authorization. 
The doctor picked up one of the photographs. You'll excuse me for a moment, he said. I'll just pop into my uh, dark room, see if I can't enhance these uh, mysterious shadows. The doctor disappeared into his TARDIS, closing the door behind him. Mr. Ross seemed to notice the strange blue box for the first time, then switched his attention to Sarah. I was wondering, he said, when the doc gets round to investigating Mariner 10's problems, uh, would you care to join me for lunch? Sarah raised her chin. Hard as it may be for you to believe, Mr. Ross, I would be busy helping the doctor with those investigations. At that point, the doctor reappeared, glancing between Sarah and Mr. Ross as if he sensed some antagonism. Uh, not gone long, was I? he asked. I tend to lose track of time in there. He crossed to his workbench with the original photograph and an expanded image showing the darker patches in greater detail. Mr. Ross was impressed. Your equipment has surpassed NASA's finest, he said. Hey, that looks like an explosion site. It is, confirmed the doctor. A gigantic explosion occurred on Mercury many eons ago. It has cratered the surface and left behind a little debris. Uh, metal, I'd say, but I can't resolve any more detail than this, I'm afraid. That's amazing. Mr. Ross held the image up before him. Metal? And an explosion on another world? His voice faltered in wonder. When did you say the explosion happened? Hard to say, the doctor scratched his nose. Uh, perhaps millions of years ago. Undetected and unsuspected till Mariner 10 passed by last Friday. Mr. Ross steadied himself on the workbench. This implies alien tech. Uh, quite a shock, I expect, the doctor gave Sarah a conspiratorial glance. I think, my dear chap, if you're agreeable, Sarah and I should investigate further. And did you mention lunch? He placed a hand on the American's shoulder, easing him towards the door. You need to sit down for a while, and the unique canteen is fairly harmless if you avoid the shepherd's pie. The doctor let the door close behind Mr. Ross, then reached for his green velvet jacket. I can't help thinking that Mariner's 30-minute silence is somehow significant, he said. How about slipping back to last Friday, Sarah Jane? The doctor activated the TARDIS scanner and Sarah couldn't help a gasp of wonder. At this proximity, Mercury filled the screen. The cratered surface was a rich deep grey, thrown into extremes of light and shadow by the harsh glare of the nearby sun. It's beautiful, but hardly hospitable, warned the doctor. Far too hot. I'm deliberately keeping the scanner pointing away from the sun. Its intensity, even on the screen, would not be comfortable. Sarah scanned what she could see of the surface. Somewhere down there was the explosion site, revealed in Mariner 10's pictures. The doctor was about to adjust the lenses to zoom in when an object appeared on the screen from the left. Right on cue, he said. It looked to Sarah like a gigantic bird with enormous spread wings. But as it grew closer, she realized it was too boxy in shape, and the wings caught the sunlight, revealing them to be long, narrow solar panels extending out on each side. Looks like an albatross, she grinned. Hey, I wonder if our Mr. Ross is called Albert. I thought, Miss Smith, that you two weren't on first name terms, the doctor teased. A little bit of history, Sarah Jane. Earth's first real glimpse of Mercury's surface. Mariner 10 is now taking the pictures we've just been shown back in the lab. Which means, Sarah moved closer to the screen, any moment now, it will veer off its expected course and be out of contact for 30 minutes. 
As she and the doctor watched, a small jet of fire ignited on one side of the craft, strangely silent on the scanner. The great wings tilted and Mariner 10 sped onwards in a slightly altered direction. The doctor was frowning. Then his eyes sprang open. It's us, Sarah, he exclaimed, or rather the TARDIS. Mariner 10 has detected the light on top of the police box and confused it with his navigation star. We've sent it off course. Sarah saw the doctor's alarm. What can we do? It lights up while we're in flight. The doctor was muttering to himself. There's an override here somewhere. He pushed a lever, then returned his gaze to the scanner, flinching at the sudden blaze of light. Mariner had shifted in space. The curve of Mercury now lay to the probe's right, with the yellow-white glare of the sun boiling behind it. What? gasped the doctor. Is that? The glare bleached the console room, and Sarah screwed up her eyes. Beyond the space probe, she could see only the sun, and then a tiny speck. There was something there, misty against the sun's brightness. It was moving towards them, fast, approaching Mariner 10 from behind, and at last it took shape. A spaceship! I'm not so sure, Sarah. The object was mostly white, and presented to them a circular prow. Red details were piped over its surface, and a flare of gold shimmered like fire along its upper length to rival the sun's brilliance behind it. No! The doctor's voice rang with disbelief. It's a vortex craft! Before Sarah had a chance to ask what he meant, the craft emitted a pulse of green circles, forming a tunnel, heading in their direction. The tunnel encircled Mariner 10, which, in a retreating blur, disappeared into the approaching craft. No, no, no! The doctor yelled, reaching for a bank of switches. If we're caught, we may never get out of there! Sarah clung to the console as the TARDIS was sucked into the tunnel of light. The doctor closed the TARDIS door behind them. Stay close, Sarah, he warned. This could be nasty. Sarah squared her shoulders, her journalist instinct already converting her surroundings into words. Strangely surreal, everything white and shadowless. A roof of gold fire, high above them, the blaze of gold they glimpsed from outside seemed to burn. And every few seconds, a wave of greenness swept over them, as if the vessel were passing through hoops of light which could be seen through the hull. The doctor watched the wave of green disappear into the distance. This craft is sailing through time. At a guess, it appears in what you and I would call the real world only occasionally. To do what? Sarah asked. A good question. The doctor looked bemused, running his fingers through his white hair. Uh, to abduct Mariner 10 and the TARDIS, apparently. Let's see what we can find, eh? The doctor strode into the misty whiteness. Ahead of them, Sarah began to see a row of darker shapes. What are they, doctor? They were spacecraft, muttered the doctor. Space probes, uh, satellites, uh, a cosmic scrapyard. He stared into the distance. There could be hundreds. But they're all... Sarah waved at the nearest pile of components. Dismantled. Yes, I don't like the look of this at all. It's creepy. Sarah's voice was suddenly small and frightened. She turned slowly. Doctor, she hesitated, I feel like there's something terrible behind me. I can't describe it. The doctor shuddered. Evidently, he could feel it too. He narrowed his eyes. Like one that on a lonesome road doth walk with fear and dread, and having once turned round walks on and turns no more its head, because he knows a frightful fiend doth close behind him tread. He managed a half-smile. The poet Coleridge, he explained. I like to share a meal with him when I can. 
and he certainly knows how to turn a phrase. Sensing a change, the doctor and Sarah turned around together. Sarah gasped. A nightmare figure was standing immediately behind. It was a woman in a white toga-like robe. Her skin and eyes were pure white too, hard to distinguish against the misty background. Her lips stood out vivid red, and her hair was the same gold fire which burnt high above them. The doctor stepped forward. Any introduction he might have made was waved down by an imperious white hand. "'You will be assessed in sequence,' said the woman, her tone both severe and strangely lifeless. She stepped to one side, and behind her, as if it had coalesced from the whiteness of the ship, was the Mariner 10 space probe. It hovered about a foot off the ground, its solar panel wings spread wide, neatly in line with the piles of dismantled craft. "'Impressive transference,' said the Doctor. "'I'm known as the Doctor, by the way. This is Sarah Jane Smith. Uh, what should we call you?' The woman's white-on-white -white eyes fixed on them for a moment, as if processing an unfamiliar question. You may call me host, she said, the crimson of her lips returning to a straight line the instant she finished speaking. The doctor was appraising her carefully. And now that you've captured Mariner 10, host, what do you intend to do with it? Judging by the stacked piles of components beyond it, Sarah thought that was fairly obvious. The probe will be subject to my assessment. Her eyes blazed, red as her lips, as Mariner 10 began to revolve. Metals? Plastics, minerals, said Host, steel derived from iron, traces of copper, nickel, and silicates. Host raised her head, and the gold fire of her hair flared into a cone above her, supporting an image of the swirling planet Mercury. What's she doing, Doctor? asked Sarah. I think Host is more of an it than a she, Sarah, and I believe she's looking for a match. The Doctor watched as the image of Mercury faded, to be replaced by the dappled orange disk of Venus, and then by the blue cloud-draped Earth. Origin established, said Host. Sarah sensed the Doctor tense at her side. That's not good, is it? Host, called the Doctor. Where have you come from? Who sent you here? The image of Earth vanished as Host turned, her eyes reverting to blank white. I believe, Doctor, that you already know the answer. Sarah looked to the doctor with raised eyebrows. Host has just confirmed a horrible suspicion, he said. You mean she read your mind? Assessed my mind would be more accurate. The doctor looked grim. That's what you do, isn't it, host? You assess, specifically any technology you happen to come across. You're the advance guard, paving the way for a Jagan invasion. Host took the doctor's words as a statement of fact, which needed no reply. Sarah, however, was feeling lost. Invasion? She swept her eyes over Host's strange appearance. And what's a Jagan? I recognize some of the dismantled spacecraft, explained the Doctor. Several of them come from planets which I know to have been invaded by the Jagan. It was a small leap of logic to deduce what our host here is up to. Some sort of assessment of where the craft has come from? That's right, Sarah. The Doctor turned to address Host. First they determine if a planet's resources would be useful to them, then they ensure their successful invasion by assessing the technology the planet has produced. You would be surprised at how much host can infer about the Earth from the construction and purpose of its technology. The doctor's voice hardened as he glared at host. Then they seed the target planet with fighting machines, disguised in the most insidious way. When they have enough machines in place, the population is enslaved to mine the planet's resources or killed if they resist. Disguise machines, 
Sarah wasn't following. The doctor gestured at the strange woman standing before them. More of an it than a she, he repeated. Host blinked her colourless eyes. I am a protocol of this vortex craft, she said. You would regard me as a mechanism. I am overlaid with an appearance drawn from your subconscious to make me more acceptable. Pure white, reasoned Sarah, looking at Host's clothes and skin, with details in red and topped with a flame of gold. You're the same as the vortex craft we saw from space. The doctor passed a hand thoughtfully across his jaw. Her lips were red, he said. Her looks were free. Her locks were yellow as gold. Her skin was as white as leprosy. The nightmare life in death was she who thicks man's blood with cold. You're quoting again, doctor. Uh, from the same poem, Sarah. The rhyme of the ancient mariner. The description is disturbingly apt, but the point is, host is a personification of this vessel, a disguised machine. That's how they would invade Earth. Their fighting machines would be disguised as humans. Ah, but Sarah's mind was racing. Mariner 10 is an unmanned craft. She looked cagely at the doctor. How will host know what a human looks like? She's already assessed our minds, remember? said the doctor. Host swung round to face Sarah, her pale features uncomfortably close. And I have found there not just a typical human, but one who is instrumental in creating this probe. Her eyes flared red again. Sarah followed her gaze, and suddenly, standing next to the Mariner 10 probe, was Mr. Ross. Miss Smith? Doctor, is that you? The young man took a hesitant step forward. I'm lost, he said. I can't seem to orientate myself. Mr. Ross! Sarah couldn't believe her eyes. But how? What are you doing here? Sarah? He swung round to face her, as if locating her voice rather than using his eyes. I can't orientate myself, he repeated, and I've lost all contact with NASA control. Sarah leapt forward to grasp Mr. Ross's outstretched arms. Your feeble communication system will not function here in the time vortex, said Host. Mr. Ross blinked and screwed up his eyes. His hands gripped Sarah's arms. Sarah, help me, please, I, I can hardly see. The doctor turned his attention to host. Very clever, he said. A most convincing personalization. Host held out her pale arms, then swept her hands closer together. Mr. Ross seemed caught up in this gesture. Sarah felt him pulled out of her grasp as he and the Mariner 10 probe came together, overlapping and merging until the probe seemed folded up within him. Sarah looked to the doctor in confusion. Just as the image of host here is a disguised machine, he said, she, or I suspect the vortex craft itself, has generated a personification to overlay Mariner 10. Mr. Ross can't see Sarah Jane because he's lost his connection to his guiding star. He'll be virtually blind without it. Host blinked. Already human frailties begin to show themselves. She reached out again towards Mr. Ross, and, as her arm extended, her hand transformed into a point of red light. The laser focused to a point on Mr. Ross's right leg, just above the ankle. He screeched in pain, suddenly pale, his breath frantic. Sarah almost screamed too, and found herself gripping Mr. Ross, hugging him to her to stop him collapsing. You monster! she yelled at host. Doctor, help me, please! Let go of him, Sarah. The doctor's voice was surprisingly calm. Host won't let him fall. That's Mariner 10, remember? Not Mr. Ross. Gingerly, Sarah released her hold on Mr. Ross. He had stopped yelling and managed to stay upright. What are you testing, host? asked the doctor. Tensile strength of the support structure? The, the purity of the metal? That and more, doctor. But why? 
Sarah watched Mr. Ross reach down, almost blindly, as if to check that his foot was still there. Metals and minerals, Sarah, said the doctor. The Earth is a rich source of the raw material the Jagan require for their disguised invasion machines. So they invade, said Sarah, to plunder a planet's resources to build more invasion machines. The doctor frowned, suddenly thoughtful, and so the automatic cycle continues. Host raised her eyes to the flaming canopy above them. Another green pulse from the vortex outside swept along the craft, but this time fell through to the interior, enveloping Mr. Ross as it passed. Mr. Ross looked older. Keep back, Sarah Jane, warned the doctor. Pulse after green pulse swept over Mr. Ross. He became stooped and his hair began to grey. She is using our path through the time vortex to age him. The doctor was fascinated and turned to host. To what purpose? An assessment, doctor, of any growth, evolution or decay over time. Oh, make her stop, doctor, wailed Sarah. It's horrible. Mr. Ross became thinner, his face drawn and hollow, sagging with wrinkles. He held out his thin, gnarled hands. Help me, Sarah. His voice was weak and cracked with age. Host approached him and the waves of time resumed their external pulses in the vortex around them. For a dominant species, humans have a very limited lifespan, she said. You leave him alone! Sarah rushed forward to support the frail old man, feeling him lean heavily on her arm. What can we do, Doctor? We've got to help him! The Doctor made no move. He was staring at the elderly Mr. Ross, lost in some thought of his own. Mariner Ten, he mused. Now an old man, the ancient Mariner. This is too much to be coincidence. Sarah was trying to follow his reasoning. You're thinking of that poem again. It fits too well. The doctor frowned at host. There are other connections too. How the vortex craft appeared. Between us and the sun. First a speck, then a mist, then it took shape. Even the mysterious shadows on the surface of Mercury. They're almost exact quotes. Sarah was confused. Events here are somehow mirroring some old poem. She felt Mr. Ross slump against her. What has happened to me, Sarah? His grey eyes were sunken and roomy, but Sarah saw the pleading and confusion in them. I still can't see what's happening. Sarah swung round, deflecting the question to the doctor. He flicked his fingers at her as if in irritation. You really must stop thinking of him as Mr. Ross, he said. In fact, I should stand back and let Host carry on with her evaluation. Host glared so intensely at Sarah with her colourless eyes that she let go of the elderly Mr. Ross to stand beside the doctor. You may find it useful, the doctor directed Host's attention to Mr. Ross's left hand, to study the communication links between Mariner 10 and the NASA control base on Earth. Host gave a delicate sweep with her laser. Three of Mr. Ross's fingertips glowed red, then began to shrivel, a thread of smoke rising from his hand. Again he cried out, but this time Sarah saw it as a, a short-lived instinctive reaction. She noticed a look of satisfaction on the doctor's face. I hope you know what you're doing, she whispered. Then a thought occurred to her. Hey, if we're following events from that old poem, how does it end? The ancient mariner gets back to dry land, doesn't he? Surely that implies we're going to get out of here, back to earth. He survives, yes, said the doctor, but he's cursed, compelled to tell his tale to anyone who may learn from it. Good grief. The doctor's eyes suddenly widened. I think I see what's happening. He grinned. Or quite simple, really. Well, if you could do something about it, urged Sarah, while Mr. Ross still has a few body parts left. Mariner 10 survives. It was missing for only half an hour, remember? 
It's us and the TARDIS that I'm worried about. I don't think host will be much help calculating escape manoeuvres. Host swung round to face them, and the doctor felt the warmth of the laser dot that focused on his forehead. Await your assessment, she commanded. When I have finished with Mariner 10, your TARDIS is next. The doctor gave a small acquiescent nod of understanding as host returned to her study of the communication components. So, Sarah, he said, it's not just the Earth that's at stake here. It's Gallifrey, too. I definitely need some help. I am ready to assist, Doctor, said a new voice from behind them. Sarah turned and gaped as Marilyn Monroe stepped forward between them. What? Sarah's mouth hung open. Ah, Marilyn, the doctor smiled, just in time. And may I say how charming you look? Marilyn teased a strand of her blonde hair and flashed her lashes. Why, Doctor, you're too, too delicious. She glanced at Mr. Ross's left hand. I see you've disabled the override communication with NASA. That's right. I need to disrupt host enough so that we can nip back to the TARDIS and escape from here. Marilyn tilted her head to one side. Taking Mariner 10 with you, I assume. That's the idea. He grinned at Sarah, enjoying her confusion, then continued to Marilyn. I can provide the light if you can calculate the appropriate position. Marilyn stepped towards Mr. Ross and host. Await your turn, host ordered. You will be assessed in sequence. Marilyn ignored host and raised an arm, extending a little finger to about shoulder height. Precisely here, she said. Sarah was about to ask what on earth was going on, but the doctor gave her a silencing look, took a breath, then stood beside Marilyn. You may have heard us mention a poem, he said to gain host's attention. The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. It's basically about penitence and redemption. He gestured at the endless line of dismantled spacecraft. I was wondering, each of these craft represents a destroyed civilization. Uh, do you feel any guilt with all that destruction hanging around your neck? Host's pale face was impassive. It is not my function, Doctor, to feel anything. No chance of penitence, then, his voice hardened. So I'm afraid, no chance of redemption. I just wanted to make sure. He pulled a torch from his jacket pocket and held it up at the point Marilyn had indicated. Taking up his sonic screwdriver in his other hand, he slid down the activation switch with his thumb. A shrill whining noise emanated from it, and the torchlight flared into a powerful beam. Sarah saw that the light had caught Mr. Ross's attention. He squinted with his failing eyes and managed to shuffle round slightly. Canopus, the doctor explained to Sarah over his shoulder, indicating the light. I want to kickstart Mariner 10's manoeuvring system. Shakily, Mr. Ross raised his damaged left arm. He's way off his expected position, the doctor continued, so he'll need NASA's authorization to initiate the burn. But you've disabled that system, Sarah realized, excitedly pointing to Mr. Ross's burnt and withered fingers. Remember that significant, unexpected, and unauthorized burn of maneuvering fuel? The doctor still held the light aloft. Host met his gaze, and a flicker of concern flashed in her eyes. The jet of fuel ignited from Mr. Ross's ruined hand, and, as Marilyn had calculated, Host was directly in line. The roar of fire melted Host's appearance. Her white face and half her body flaked away in a blast of ashes. Back to the TARDIS, now! shouted the doctor. Sarah needed no further encouragement. She turned and ran, glancing behind to see the doctor and Marilyn Monroe running, and behind them a whirling machine, half Host's body and half an intricate mechanism bristling with lasers. Sarah realized with horror that the weapons were out of control, burning stripes of light in all directions. They crossed the white space in a zigzag scramble, slamming the TARDIS door as a crisscross of lasers sizzled across it. 
one of their disguised fighting machines, explained the doctor. That's what they'd use to invade Earth. Marilyn Monroe placed a hand on the TARDIS console, and the scanner lit up, showing the scene outside. She's damaged, said Marilyn, as the host machine gestured wildly to the vortex craft around her. The green pulses halted, then started to flow in the opposite direction. She's taken the craft back through time, the doctor realized, trying to reverse the damage done to her. Marilyn agreed. But she's out of control. She's initiated a reverse spiral. Sarah had managed to regain some of her breath. <sighs> okay, Marilyn, she gasped. Just, just who are you exactly? A capable woman, said Marilyn with a teasing pout. Bookworm and lover of science. Like the image of Mr. Ross, I too am drawn from your subconscious. The doctor straightened his cuffs. Everything on this craft is automatic, he said. Just as host personified Madeline attends Mr. Ross, Marilyn is the vortex craft's personification of the TARDIS, ready for the next assessment. Marilyn indicated an unwinding spiral of green light revolving on the scanner. I'm tracking the craft back through time. It is too damaged to hold the spiral. It is already thousands of years in the past. Can you lock onto Mariner 10? asked the doctor. Of course I can, and I've calculated our escape maneuver too. The doctor and Marilyn positioned themselves around the console, and together threw a series of switches. The glass tank at its center began to rise and fall, and the familiar wheeze of dematerialization filled the air. To Sarah's immense relief, the scanner now showed the blackness of space and the wide curve of Mercury's surface. Back where we started, the doctor grinned, 30 minutes later, and the boxy winged shape of the Mariner 10 probe floated into view. Poor old Mariner 10, said Marilyn. It's ancient now, brittle limp on, complete its missions and end up retired in heliocentric orbit. And the vortex craft? Sarah could see the time spiral still spinning on the scanner overlaying the image of Mercury. Millions of years in the past by now, said the doctor. No Jagan invasion then, said Sarah. Yay us! I've looked into the vortex, said Marilyn. The organic Jagan race died out millennia ago. But their automated fighting machines still roam the vortex, assessing and plundering planets to make more of their kind. Well, at least this one won't trouble us for much longer. The vortex spiral seemed to close in on a point on Mercury's surface. Then the scanner flared with a massive explosion, cratering the surface, said the doctor, and leaving behind a debris of twisted metal. Which Mariner 10 will photograph eons later, finished Sarah. She grinned at the doctor and Marilyn in triumph. Marilyn? Marilyn looked down at herself. She was already transparent and fading quickly. I'm a creation of the Vortex craft, she said. Now that it's gone, she gave Sarah a small wave. Keep up the fight, Sarah Jane. A woman can shine as bright as any man. I am very pleased to have met you, my dear, said the doctor. Thank you for your assistance. Marilyn smiled, blew him a kiss, and disappeared. Home, suggested Sarah. I am looking forward to telling this tale to Mr. Ross, the young Mr. Ross, though I'm not sure he'll believe me. The doctor smirked. Oh, you intend to see him then? I've grown a bit sympathetic towards him, I suppose, Sarah admitted. I thought I might take up his offer of lunch after all. And I too, said the doctor, feel compelled to tell this tale. I shall pop back to the 1790s. I have a feeling my friend Coleridge will be rather interested in the ancient mariner. <laughs>